Hello and welcome to episode 19 of series 3 of the Engaging Internal Comms podcast. This is the show for employee engagers and internal communicators who like to keep up to date with all that is new in our profession. My name's Craig Smith from The Big Picture People. Hope you're all safe and well as we reach the final quarter of this year. I can't believe how fast 2022 has flown by. Um, so just looking forward to the upcoming episodes that we have on the show. Uh, next episode on the 11th of October, I have an interview with Arthur Woods from a company called Matheson. Arthur is going to be telling us all about how we can build inclusive cultures through our internal communications. Um which is obviously a very relevant topic at the moment. And then after that, on the 25th of October, I have an interview with Mark Allen. And Mark is going to be telling us all about the psychology of communication. So we've done a lot of interviews over the last few months around specific approaches and techniques. But Mark's going to be giving us a deep dive into the actual psychology, what's going on in our, our brains when we're being communicated to, and how can we as internal communicators and employee engagers better tap into some of that psychology. On the subject of interviews and upcoming topics, there's a few areas that I'm looking for potential guests on. So I regularly put out a call to uh, for potential guests and we get a lot of responses to that. But there are three areas that I would like uh, anyone who's got any expertise or has been working on something in particular that, that is relevant. I'd really like it if uh, you could reach out to me at info at thebigpicturepeople.co.uk if you would like to have a chat and be interviewed about any of the following topics. So the first one is about the great, great resignation. There's been a lot of uh, talk of that recently. Uh, anything that you're doing or have done in order to stem some of the challenges brought around by the great resignation, this this uh, this sort of tendency that we we're finding in organisations for people to be reevaluating their futures, or maybe have had um, perspective changes, or maybe looking to do career changes as a result of of the aftermath of the pandemic, or, or just looking for for more money. It could be as simple as that. So I'd love to, I'd love to know what you've been doing about that, how you've dealt with that and and obviously every anything that you're willing to share with our audience would be really interesting or maybe you are or someone who has developed a technique that you're sharing on helping organizations with when it comes to the challenges that are brought about by the great resignation which is quite a broad area of course um and then the other two areas that I'm looking at are obviously across the world at the moment and um particularly in the U UK and I know in Europe and in the US we're facing a massive hike in the cost of living now obviously that's uh, that's something that our employees are trying to deal with and uh, organisations themselves are dealing with raising, rising costs as well. <clears throat> so I'd be really interested to find out if you are doing anything or have been helping organisations to do anything about helping their employees to deal with those rising costs, both personal rising costs and also business costs, and what you've done to communicate and engage people uh, to help them to maybe save some money and, and be able to uh, reduce their own living expenses so they can cope better, uh, but also anything that you've done organisationally as well to help reduce your expenditure as a business to make sure that you're you're still um, viable. Um, and a kind of link to that, the third topic that I'm looking for is any, anybody who's done anything uh, where you may be working in an organisation that is highly energy dependent, using a lot of energy, and obviously, again, energy linked to cost of living um, is something that 
has become incredibly expensive. Um, and I'd be really interested to find out whether you and your organization have done any specific comms around energy, use of, saving energy, uh, but also, um, you know, kind of repositioning employees' roles in, in, in that, in, in terms of the use of energy and, and the way that we share, we use precious resources like energy, because it's not just about the cost of it, of course, it's also um, about the environment as well. So three topics, energy, cost of living, and great resignation. If you've got anything you'd like to share with our audience on that, please get in touch with me, as I say, at info at thebigpicturepeople.co.uk. Um, just finally, just a couple of other things just to bring to your attention. We've got a couple more of our webinars coming up. Uh, one, you'll need to be really quick because it's tomorrow. The, uh, if you're listening to this on the day the the, uh, the podcast goes out on the 27th, we're running one tomorrow on the 28th, uh, which is, a f- they're all free webinars, by the way, all of the webinars I'm talking about, which is our, um, our webinar about health and safety is how can you help your employees to engage more with your health and safety programs or your health and safety communications so that's that's the one that we're running tomorrow three o'clock uk time uh, i'll give you the the, the 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 place where you can find both of these webinars in a second um, and then we have another webinar coming up in october um, that is on the 20th of october so uh, again a free webinar 3 p.m in the afternoon uk time um, both of those webinars if you're interested if you go to the bigpicturepeople.co.uk go to our events tab at the top of the page or on our menu find the events and both of those are listed they're both in a slightly different format at the moment because we're just in the process of changing over the way we list our webinars so the first one you'll find there's a little drop down menu which is the which is actually the the second one that's the one that's in October um, but then underneath that you'll find the booking for the 28th of September which is the health and safety webinar and you can book directly from there so both of those will be in the same format after the uh, after the event on the 28th after the event that we've run tomorrow so um hope that's useful for you and um again any comments feedback please email those across to info at the big so let's get on to today's interview at some point all organizations will have a crisis whether that's an internal crisis whether we're looking at some sort of big layoff, redundancies, some major transformation, closures of an office, or whether it's an external crisis, whether we've had a product recall, whether we've had an accident, whether there's something happened that we have caused problems for our customers or our clients, or maybe we've had an issue with someone within our organization who's done something inappropriate and that has been uh, it has got its found its way into the media. All of these things can be sources of crises, and we often think probably that we employ an external PR department to deal with these things. Our external comms are who pick this up. But what we're going to look at in this interview is actually our primary focus should be our internal communications. Whilst obviously we need to deal with the crisis and we need to mitigate it and we need to stop the crisis getting any worse, what we need to do is let our employees know what is happening as soon as possible. And the reasons for that is that we can mobilize them to help us solve the crisis, but also it's likely that they are going to be the people who are fielding many of the questions and concerns from customers and from other stakeholders who want to know what is going on. And it's without that information, it's very unlikely that they're going to be able to support and help our efforts. So what we're going to look at in this interview is the role of internal communications in dealing with a crisis. The importance of letting our people know what is happening, what we're doing about it, and how we're going to resolve this crisis. And also using their 
wisdom and expertise. They may be the people who deal with the frontline issues. They may be the people who speak to customers on a regular basis, and they may have some insights into what those people will be asking and concerned about that we sat around our boardroom tables in our offices may not know. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. What is the importance of putting internal comms first when we're faced with a crisis situation? And I hope you find this useful. And my my advice on this actually is all of you, if you've never had a crisis yet in your organization or you've never been involved in a crisis, you will at some point. Um, I've, I've been involved in a number of them in my corporate life. And I wish I'd known some of the things that we're going to find out in today's interview when I've dealt with those crises. So I hope you find this useful. My interview today is Dave Oates. Dave is a crisis PR expert with nearly 30 years of experience in the field. He helps organizations to repair their brand's reputation in the press and online. Dave can handle almost any crisis PR situation and trains others to do the same. As a U.S. Navy public affairs officer and a corporate PR professional, he has dealt with a broad range of crisis PR issues. These include mass layoffs, large-scale accidents, product recall, inappropriate acts by executives, and more. This sounds really interesting conversation we're going to have here, Dave. So how are you? Good to speak to you. Um, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it, 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 it's been quite the uh, quite the ride. I've been privileged to do so. All the different types of stories and involved, you know, accidents and incidents I get involved with. Um, uh, it makes for great conversations in a pub. How's that? I, I, I can imagine. I can imagine. And just for our listeners' benefit, whereabouts in the United States are you, please, Dave? Yeah, I'm, I'm physically located in San Diego, Southern California of the U.S. I'm originally from the East Coast of the United States. I'm fortunate that my work takes me all over. I have matters that I tend to throughout pretty much every time zone in North America. And in addition to that, I've had some really good conversations uh, with um, other PR and marketing practitioners uh, in Europe, and I'm yeah. privileged to do so. My career has taken me places that I've I've never actually physically been, and I consider <laughs> that a, a, a real privilege. Fantastic, excellent, and um, so tell tell me a little bit more, Ben. I mean, how did you get into crisis PR as as a as a as a profession? It's very it's very well not not niche, I guess, but it's very specific. So where, where did you get started and how did you gravitate towards this, uh, this profession that you found yourself it, in now? In a very backwards way, I think a lot of folks would think that I come from, you know, a, a, you know, some sort of university background with a journalism degree and then was in broadcasting and things like that. And I wasn't, I was a Navy officer. Specifically, I was a Navy surface warfare officer. So I, my job was to be on surface ships. Uh, I, I did so on a guided missile frigate. For the first three years of my career, I was in combat and as well as engineering roles on that platform. And when you're a junior officer, you get assigned all these collateral duties and in addition to doing your day job and, and standing watches and doing all of that. And mine happened to be the public affairs officer. And, you know, you get to a point, I'm sure everybody has had these moments where you're sort of going through your day-to-day activities and maybe you have your first or second job and something comes along where it clicks and you go, Oh, this is what I want to do. And for me, that was, that was that little collateral duty job that I had for Mm. a good, good year and a half. You know, I was doing some basic um, writing for base newspapers. When we go to ports of call, I was the one setting up the public tours of the ships for the general public. I was the one that was coordinating activities with news organizations and, um, and, and the like. 
And I naturally was a, you know, fancy myself as a decent public speaker, or at least one who wasn't afraid of it. And so when I realized that this could be a calling by pure serendipity, I found out that there were about 200 active duty Navy officers in the United States that did this as their full-time job. And I just found some of those that resided in San Diego that were based in, in some of the Naval installations in San Diego. And like a bad penny, I just kept showing up at their door, <laughs> knocking on and going, how do I get into your job? Just bugging them. And they were very kind. There are two or three specifically are very kind, took me under their wing. So off duty hours and when I can get away from the ship when we were in port or things like that, they allowed me to see what they were doing and then, and then walked me through sort of the request to transfer into that community. And it took me three attempts with the big bureaucratic engine in DC. And I got picked up for that and wound up actually being deployed more Navy public affairs officer than I was driving ships. I was in Haiti for six months. I was on an aircraft carrier for two years. I did a bunch of other items like that. And to get to the crisis point, the Navy does a really good job of sort of giving you the baseline education and then just throwing you into the pool with some, as an understudy to somebody. Yeah, And I learned the elements of military and, and, and general public relations, but more specifically crisis PR. Just on the aircraft carrier alone, when I was the spokesperson for that, uh, that ship, as well as uh, the eight other ships along with us on the battle group, I had uh, an aircraft, uh, F-14 Tomcat crash in the middle of the Pacific. I had a couple of accidents where sailors were severely injured. I had um, hot war environments, different international instances and incidents and things like that. So very early on, I got immersed in crisis public relation. And then when I went into the private sector about 20 years ago, after about a nine-year career in the Navy, I was the guy that people would come to when I was working for different agencies before I hung up my own shingle, that because of my background, I was the guy that did all the announcements of mass layoffs, product recalls, you know, CEOs behaving badly, all of those kind of uncomfortable things that I found out that a lot of PR practitioners shied away from. Okay. So fast forward... Now, about five years ago, I decided because of these all these little devices that we carry around in our pockets that, you know, we try to keep in touch with people on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and whatever other LinkedIn and so forth. It became it became a demand to do more crisis public relations as every organization of any size anywhere in the world can yeah. be discouraged. And I realized this is something I think I can I can offer as a service full time and focus exclusively on that. And, and I did that a little over four years ago, having done it as sort of a, an ancillary service. Yeah. Yeah. And I hung up my own consulting shingle and honestly, Craig, I wish I'd done it 10 years ago. Yeah, the time. Often the way, often, often the way. Yes. Yeah. And it's good because, I mean, a lot of our listeners will, particularly those in internal comms, will have some sort of PR, sometimes a media background to their to their work. Um, mm-hmm. But but I know we've, we've titled this putting putting internal comms first in a crisis. And I just want to read out a quote that you, you gave to me, which I really like. So in your own words, this is. So uh, um, as, self, as self-evident as it seems, most organizations neglect to engage staff in conveying vital information on the issue and what's being done to done about it. Um, while news organizations get the understandable focus, failing to communicate effectively with employees will mean that your efforts will not be as effective and perhaps wholly ineffective. So we're talking about in a crisis situation here. So we're saying that 
essentially you, you, it's very eloquently put you know put your your own people first don't just go to the external audience you know think about what your own people are saying so that's why i think this is a highly relevant to to our audience so I'd really like to explore that a little bit further with you. So, uh, and we've got some specific questions we're going to going to go through. I'm going to go through with you, but just just say a little bit more about why that is so important in your mind and what and from your experience as well. More importantly, yeah, I don't care what the crisis is. I don't care what the organization's you know market is, businesses, services. I don't care where it occurs in the world. Your employees need to be communicated with and engaged with first, always. That is a sacrosanct crisis PR strategy because it's, it's essential to business. It's essential that you empower the people that are in your circle to be able to understand what's being done and to be able to communicate that to your other audiences. If your employees do not understand what's going on or they feel disenfranchised, they are not going to be able to be a good spokesperson to you, to your customers, to your business partners, to your entities. Executives can't do that by themselves, and they shouldn't. That's why you have frontline people who are your customer service folks, your relationships um, uh, managers to different you know, business partners and, and people who help you deliver your products or services. And oftentimes, more often than not, sad to say, most organizations forget that or they they communicate with employees last sort of after the fact like it you know it's an afterthought and and that's the wrong approach because when i've seen that happen you will wind up uh being in completely ineffective or at best partially effective in communicate that there because your employees will if not by design by default undermine your credibility when people call them up at, you know, or, or send an email or walk up to a front counter and say, what is this going on? And the employee looks at them and goes, I have no idea. Yeah. And now yeah. the organization looks like they are either incompetent, unfeeling, or both. And that's a bad situation to be in when your reputation is already being called into question for some matter that in the public's eye looks adverse. Yeah. Well, so yeah, yeah, I, I totally, I, I can, can completely see that. And I guess the, one of the challenges is that, um, the the as you said in in the in the quote that i gave out there you know say let's let's use use an example say of a product recall you know we've 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 we're concerned something may have got into our product that you know food is a classic example i guess and uh immediately we're kind of focused on you know getting on terms of our you know, getting getting in touch with our commercial customers our supermarkets that may be stocking this stuff and obviously regulatory authorities that sort of thing but actually it's the people you know people are going to be picking up the phone they're going to be maybe having a microphone thrust in their face outside the factory uh, you know all of these sorts of things and if they don't know what's going on then it kind of undermines all of that kind of uh, focused PR effort that we're doing to to the to our kind of wider audience. Is that essentially what you're saying then, there, Dave? Yeah, and it's interesting you use the example of, of uh, food product recall. I literally just did one <laughs> two okay. weeks ago, right? Um, and it was a matter I was brought in by an attorney that was working with um, uh, with the company and also uh, being the liaison to the. United States Food and Drug Administration, the mm. you know the authoritative entity that that determined there was um, uh, an element in this one particular product that required a recall. And yeah. as we were going through the communications plan, we had about twenty four hours to put this together. The order in which we made the announcements all had to be done the day 
the, at, at eight o'clock in the morning, we put out a communication to the employees. Here's what we're about ready to do. And here's why. And if you get these type of inquiries, here's a good FAQ for you that mm. you can use for customer inquiries and things like that. Anything else along this line too, like media inquiries, stuff like that, please funnel those quickly to, you know, what eventually became me. And we will certainly answer those quickly. But we wanted to make sure that, that the employees knew what was going on and why, and that they mm. were ready to go when they were going to get those inquiries, which were going to happen. The next, Then the next audiences in the orders were distributors and then end customers. And then we put out later that morning, the general public press release announcement that went to news organizations all across the country. But we wanted to make sure that everybody else wasn't surprised by the announcement and what we were saying publicly by seeing a press release or getting an inbound query going, hey, you know, I, I just heard you, you know, you recalled this particular product. Well, can you tell me more about it? Can you imagine that customer service person or those business partners for the distributors if they were not clear as to what was going on? Mm. What that would, what they would respond. They would respond with confusion and chaos, and probably a little bit of animosity and anxiety. Right now, they're being mm. now they're now they're being looked upon as not being informed and not being in the loop. That's going to create, uh, you know, understandably so, uh, some anxiety and a little bit of anger within your employee base. And then we see if you don't address with them first they'll start to comment disparagingly about the organization on sites like Glassdoor, as well as social media and things like that. And that further exacerbates the whole crisis and extends the news cycle because they, they wouldn't have taken uh, the employees and, and considered the employees, I should say, as top priority. So mm, that, that, yeah. that's a prime example of something that just happened where we said the employees have got to be notified first. But I think that's true in any crisis situation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I mean, you kind of talked about um, what happens when we don't do that, when we kind of skip the, the employees in, in those sort of situations. Um, what are the, what are the? I guess, it, we're not just inverting those around to turn them into benefits, but what are some of the, the, the other upside benefits of actually – you kind of use getting to our internal audience first when we're in these sort of crisis situations. Are, are there any that aren't just the, you know, the direct inverse, you know, different uh, opposite of, of what we've just talked about as the downsides. What are some of the upsides of getting into their, uh, getting in, getting them engaged and talking to them first? There are plenty. We already talked a little bit about the idea of being able to stay consistent in messaging and having a good forward facing uh, brand and reputation that you're taking the matter seriously and here are the actions that you're conveying from that and having everybody sort of sing it from the same page. But another key benefit, and it happens all the time, is when you set up sort of these FAQs for, let's say, your customer service reps or other people to use, they're on the front lines every day. They're talking to your end users, whether that's a product or a service, every day. Mm. And what we found is when we put together these FAQs and we, and we asked for feedback, from the customer services folks, they came up with some additional questions that the C-suite never thought about. Yeah. Well, these are the kind of things that we get to see. And that's brilliant because all it does is gives you some more insight as to what your customers, your distributors, your partners think on a regular basis that then you need to address. And maybe there's some things that you hadn't thought about from an operational standpoint that then you can funnel back in and take action. Yeah. But when you leverage the collective talent and experience of your internal staff, you become that much more engaged and informed and smarter 
about how to address the current matter, but then it also can help you to put together operational plans and processes to ensure this kind of thing doesn't happen again. Or if it does, you're even more prepared for the next time. So I think that's a benefit that isn't um, looked upon uh, enough, and I don't think it's appreciated to the degree it should. So that just gives you another idea of why it's important to do that ahead of time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can see how that would happen. I guess the temptation is, you know, we need to keep this secret. We need to keep this under wraps. We need to, you know, on a need to know basis only when actually that's kind of, you know, fighting with one arm tied behind your back, isn't it? Or both arms. Or if you've got people who kind of empathize and understand and will kind of say, well, I, I, I'm imagining we're going to get a lot of people ringing and asking these questions. Well, if you're not, like you say, your C-suite guys and girls, I'm sure they're very smart, but they don't speak to the customer on a day-to-day basis. So I can see how that that is a real tangible benefit from uh, from from kind of going going internal first. Um, I mean, the natural inclination, right, is to is to sort of circle the wagons, as I call it, mm-hmm. using a U.S. vernacular from the frontiers, yeah. Dave. Yeah. But it's it, it the reason, and I understand the reason for that, particularly in the age where we all are on social media, we have these portable little communication devices that are in our pockets. And the issue becomes one of concern that you will be canceled out quickly if you're transparent, if you're open, if you're forthright, if you make yourself a little bit vulnerable. But I will submit to you, particularly on the employee side, but then for all audiences, being open, transparent, and responsive will endear yourself to a majority of your audiences, and your staff is certainly one of those. And that's counterintuitive to a lot of conventional thinking, understandably so for executives and all that. My job oftentimes is to try to get them a little bit out of their comfort zone with the idea that, yes, there'll be a little bit of pain up front. This is not a pleasant conversation. This is not fun. But if you address it now, you will you will experience far less pain in the long term than if you decide to be closed mouth, be very um, uh, discreet as to what you say and how, and oftentimes very, um, very broad brush. Yeah, in, in your comments, and and all you do is you just disenfranchise a whole lot of people that are in your corner. Chief among them are is your staff, and I, I tell them you you've got to trust me. This will this will be less bad if you go about it this way, and you keep it to a news cycle, and then things go on. That product recall, uh, you know, we had we had one one day of some press. Uh, we've had maybe half a dozen inquiries, and that's been it. Now mm. this food this food product recall didn't uh, result in anybody getting sick. So that was mm. to a, to their advantage. But it would have, there would have been so many more follow-on questions by so many more people, I think, had we not done it the way we did. Yeah. I uh, just just think looking back at what you know what we talked about at the beginning or what I mentioned through through some of your experience in the past and and, and I I am just wondering if there's any any ever ever any exceptions to the rule. So I guess where the crisis is about the people themselves. So I'm thinking in kind of a layoff situation where you, you know, there often is, is natural caginess about, you know, who knows anything about this and how we manage this process. Because actually where in a layoff situation, I guess the crisis, the victims of the crisis, if we want to put it that way, are the people themselves. So is there a different way? Is that, is that way, is that technique or that, that philosophy nuanced in a different way? Or is it, you know, we go public as quickly as we can with as much as we know. So we're not kind of playing this cloak and dagger kind of game that often happens in these sort of situations. What's your thoughts on that from your experience? 
the, the short answer is no, there's no exceptions to that. And, yeah. and, and let's go specifically into, let's say an internal layoff where you're letting go, you know, a, what, what I call a significant percentage of your workforce. And what I mean mm. by that is something, you know, great, something 10% or more of your labor pool. If you do not get ahead of that with your internal comms and then external comms mm. as quickly as you can with, with what you can say, right? There's, there's employee privacy laws. There are certain regulations. You certainly, um, you have to be sensitive to not violate somebody's, um, somebody's right to privacy. Yeah. But to get that information out as quickly as can, I think is important because here's the other dynamic for this one. If you don't, set the narrative and set the narrative quickly with empathy and action, which are two cardinal also rules in crisis PR, all your messaging has to express empathy and action. It doesn't mean culpability, but you have to articulate that if you want people to understand where you're coming from and diffuse any anxiety. I'll get to that in a little bit, but you need to do it quickly because if you don't, if you don't set that narrative, somebody else will. Mm. We are living a day and age right now with everybody who has a smartphone, which you know, what is everybody, right? But by yeah. and large, yeah. it's everybody with the exception of a few people, everybody's got a smartphone and everybody at least has one or so social media account if only to look at their grandkids, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody else is active on that. If you don't set the narrative, they will, and they'll do it based on rumor, based on fear, based on speculation, and oftentimes based on nothing remotely centered to the truth. Yeah. And if that goes unchecked, that becomes the default facts. But then the organization has to try to counter after the fact, and it becomes that much more costly, that much more time-consuming. And ultimately, you're that much less effective in conveying yeah. the truth for that one there. Yeah, you're on and the so back. we say, look, you know, this isn't a day and age where a generation ago you were limited in society as to how you can communicate to a mass audience. There was the local, you know, news organizations, uh, and that was pretty much it. So it had to be a big enough size and scale to do so. I remember when I was a Navy public affairs officer, long before the days of social media and even, even early on, you know, websites were just coming into fruition and very rudimentary ones at best. I, if I wanted to convey information to an audience member, let's say in San Diego, where we were based, there were six people I had to get on the phone to. And those were the reporters who covered military issues in town. And then maybe there were about another 10 or so organizations, nonprofit advocacy groups that I would keep informed. That was the limit yeah. for my backyard, right? There's plenty of other audiences for a national one there. But I had very good relationships with about a dozen or so what I would call influencers. Nowadays in San Diego, there are thousands depending yeah. on what you want to do. And this is just in little Southern California. If we talk about London or so like that, you're talking another whole gaggle of people. And so I tell that to organizations now, if you do not, if you're not quick in your response, which is no longer, you know, the end of the day, you've got an hour. And if you don't do it with empathy and action, you don't start with your employees and you don't get that out there. Somebody will talk for you and often without a position of authority or a position of knowledge and that becomes detrimental. Yeah. 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 And I agree. Um, so, so w- what about, um, what are some of the, 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 the how should we communicate in, in these sort of, I know, and this is kind of like a really kind of broad question and I'm sure it's, there are many different ways, but, but what, are, what, are, how should we communicate and how often should we communicate in these situations? What, what is it horses for courses as in, you know, whatever the prevailing way of communicating or is it, are there particular channels that are particularly effective in, in this sort of situation that you would advocate? 
Thank you for, uh, first off, thank you for giving me another uh, vernacular and another phrase I can use. Horses for courses. I'm going to, that, that one's going to be <laughs> It's probably a very British my, thing, I think. That, but it, yeah, that's yeah. okay. <laughs> I, I, I enjoy that. I'm, I'm actually I'm actually a proud honorary member of the Royal Navy Association because of some background, which is so I'm very, very much an anglophile. But, uh, okay, but I'm going to embed that one and I'm going to embed that one in my cerebral cortex. That was good. But good. to answer your question for internal communications, the rule of thumb is, However you communicate normally with your employees, and hopefully you do so on a regular basis, those are your anchor points. Those are the things you should go and do. But then I would agree with you that I think that there are going to be some additional things you're going to want to leverage, whether that's all hands meetings, if you have people within, you know, within a certain um, office, or certainly in this day and age of COVID, a virtual Zoom or Microsoft Teams or whatever your, whatever your virtual conference uh, platform of choice is. If you have uh, regular email, you know, communications, leverage that. Uh, if you, in some cases, use some sort of employee communications app like Slack or mm-hmm. Yammer or things of that nature, that would be good to use as well. But the key is that they should be multiple outlets that you use because employees, much like the mass audiences, need to see it in multiple places in order to make sure that uh, it is re- it is received. And then the other thing to your point is, you should update employees regularly. And by regularly, there's two sort of general rules. One is if there are new developments, you update them on the developments. But I would suggest to you at the early onset of the, of the crisis, you should at least update them probably in the first couple of days, a couple of times a day, even if there's no updates, just to tell them what you're doing. And then over a period of a few days, you can go back to about one a day until things subside. But it's not a set and forget. You can't just communicate once and expect that to be it because you now are in a position where you must continually feed uh, information or at least continue to keep the communications line only if only for a reason of keeping the employees feeling like they're engaged with you, like they matter and like that they are empowered to do what they need to do in their job. And if you do that, there's a really good chance that they will back you up. And so this is all about building a team and keeping the team together in times of crisis. And staff members, by and large, will rally to their company if they believe in them, if they feel like they're being valued, and they also uh, understand th- what their role is in the mm. process. Mm. They will they will jump at that. If they don't, you probably got some underlying issues that you need to address in yeah. terms of your corporate culture and things like that. But if you've got a good team you've got a good corporate culture and you keep them informed, they'll rally to you. They will be a tremendous asset in getting you through this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, absolutely. I mean, one other thing I was going to ask you actually, just, just, just we, we was thinking there when you were talking about, yeah, and, and the different channels and, and one of the things that we've talked about a lot on this show and kind of is a subject close to my heart as well is, is in these situations is the criticality of my line manager, the person who I see as my, you know, individual leader or supervisor or whatever, and their role in in not only in communicating in a crisis, but in any situation is is absolutely pivotal. You can have, you, you can you can have the best channels in the world, you know, the best social media platforms, etc., internal comms platforms. But if my manager isn't very good at communicating, it's likely that I'm not going to be feel can be particularly well communi- I mean, communicated to. So I'm just intrigued as to the, in in a crisis situation is having you know, good line manager comms and, and alignment with line managers and consistency of message from those line managers to their teams 
I, I guess it's critical, but I'm just I'm just putting that out there to just to make sure that is the case. It's 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 vital. I absolutely agree with that. There, mm. all of the top level communications only support the line managers as they are c- conveying that same information to the employees, and more importantly, the line managers should be looking for feedback. All right, tell me, does everybody understand this? What are your mm. thoughts? What are your feedbacks? Tell me how you're feeling. Be be engaging in that regards to recognize and convey to staff members. Look, we know this is a really tough time or an in, at least an intense time. Yeah. And we appreciate your involvement. How can I help you be successful at your job? And, and this really crosses over to from, you know, employee communications to leadership development, right? Which is so, mm-hmm. so they go hand in hand at this point. If you have line managers that, and I'll use the pre sort of COVID days that would walk into the office, not say hello to any other team members, close the door behind them. And you don't see them the rest of the day. That's obviously a problem. I don't care what the industry is. Uh-huh. I don't care what the what the offerings are. That's a, that's not a that's not a line manager, right? Yeah, that's a push button person who will just sort of taskmaster. You can get a robot to do that. So if you have people in those who have those you know sort of pensions to operate and manage that way, they're probably not going to be effective in times of crisis. In fact, they'll probably undermine you. You need to think about it in, in developing that, helping them develop the skill sets they need to do to be able to be much more engaging and personal. People mm. want to feel, again, engaged. They want to feel safe. They want to feel valued. And you do that through one-on-one communications in a virtual setting, in an in-person setting, whatever, you know, however you're set up. But, but line management communications is critical because, if you, again, if you don't have that type of engagement at that level, all of your top level sort of messaging won't resonate as much and you won't be as effective in the internal columns. And then obviously, as we talked about before, you won't be effective in managing the crisis communications in general to everybody else. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. One, one thing you've talked about uh, quite a lot in this, and I, I, I kind of, um, I remember going, I was on a workshop a few years ago uh, and, and this was, well, yeah, it was, it must've been post social media kind of you know phenomena as it were and and they talked i can't remember what it was it was one of these two by two grids and they talked about you know kind of i think it was uh, structured and unstructured and solicited and unsolicited with the two dimensions on this if you can imagine a two by two matrix doesn't matter which 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 so what they were talking about that in the past uh, a lot of feedback that we used to get would be structured and solicited. So we would, you know, we would send out a survey and then we would publish the data from that survey right. to say how great we mm-hmm. were and all of this stuff. And they, they'd say now more about how we're moving into unstructured, unsolicited feedback, which I guess is what so- social media is, you know, kind of people tweeting yeah. and, 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 and ranting about our organization with some stuff that we don't even know about. They're saying about uh, our organization. So well, you talked, you know, you, you talked throughout the interview about, you know there are social media there's glass door there are all sorts of ways now that our organizations despite our kind of fantastic public persona and all the shiny glass that we have on our external facade that can be undermined through these kind of platforms where employees can basically just sit within our offices and 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 tell the world what it's really like to be here how how do we de- and particularly in a crisis situation what 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 that must be you know you kind of alluded to this fact and and you mentioned it when we spoke before the interview this is a kind of really key phenomenon at the moment that we need to be mindful of we'll give, give our listeners some thoughts and ideas and tips on how 
maybe it's doing all the things we've talked about in the interview so far. How do we head that off and how do we deal with that when we're faced with that phenomenon? Uh, it's a great point. Think about it in terms of for those of us who are old enough to remember the water cooler days, you know, the water <laughs> cooler gossip, as these yeah. call it, where you sit there at the bubbler and, and people would would talk amongst themselves uh, about how bad their bosses were or their yeah. managers or whatever. Well, now this can be done in a broad mass communication setting on, as you mentioned, Glassdoor and social media. So it, it's not just limited to whatever the office is by whomever is talking about that. It's now everybody else can see it. So you have to you have to address it. Like it or not, it's just part of the natural employee communications phenomenon that we we have today. There's three general rules I would say for employees employees to deal with that. Um, but before I get into that, to answer your question beforehand is you should have regular communications. Look at your proactive employee communications plan and more importantly, your feedback mechanisms. Because again, the reason why a lot of employees will talk disparagingly, particularly in a public forum about their about their company and about their bosses because they don't feel connected to that. They feel mm. disenfranchised. And the less you can do that through a solid, regimented, strategic employee communications plan, not only will you reduce those chances, the, the chances of that occurring, but you'll also retain really good people. But now let's say throughout all best efforts, you know, you've got a situation where people are bad-mouthing you in a crisis. Three things you need to do. First is you need to be the first person who knows that's going on. And that means monitoring all of the social media and internet communications that are being conveyed about your organization. And there are free tools with Google, as well as um, what I'll call freemium-based tiered prices for uh, uh, for offerings like on TweetDeck and Hootsuite, as well as mm. Google Alerts, that you can, you can get alerted within a couple of hours of somebody posting something. Yeah, that somebody said something about your organization, employees, regular customers and things like that. And you can set up, well, you'll get notified in a couple of hours through these push alerts. And that is critical because oftentimes companies have ignored that. And it's days before they somebody says, hey, did you see this post on Glassdoor? No, this one star. Somebody's bad mouthing somebody by name. And now the comments have already started and you're the last person you're playing catch. So you need to monitor that. The second thing you need to do is respond to those comments and you need to be careful in how you respond. Oftentimes bosses, because, you know, somebody's taken a pot shot at them, as I would say in the States, um, you know, you, you, uh, you tend to respond with emotion. You'll respond with a point counterpoint. You'll try to mm-hmm. refute the argument, but all you're going to do is to build up and increase that animosity because now it looks like if somebody says, you know, these people aren't really paying attention to us, and you say, that's not true. I've been paying attention to you. It just it just feeds into the mm-hmm. accusation. It doesn't make you look good. You need to respond with what I call empathy and action. As I said, two cardinal roles, all messaging, empathy and action. And something to the akin of, we appreciate this. We're sorry that we've had, a, you know, that this, this is how you feel about this. We would love to discuss this further for you. As we've said, there's some policies and procedures that we certainly abide by. We think it's in our interest, but let's take this off. We'd love to talk with you offline and see if we can't come to, rec- you know, to, to, to some sort of reconciliation because we value your contribution. Mm. That's a nice way to telegraph to everybody else that you're taking the comments seriously. You want to know more. And if there's something that needs to be done, you're going to take action on it. Yeah. And it may be that there's nothing to take action on. Maybe somebody's just having a bad day and took it out on their boss. Fine. But you're telling everybody else that at least you're willing to listen for that. Yeah. And that makes all the difference role. So responding quickly with empathy and action after being the first person to know 
that somebody is chattering about you in some sort of social media or online blogs is essential. And that's not only true for crisis and not only true for employee communications, but I think that's true for any organization at any time. It's just a good way to be strategic in discovering the next crisis before it becomes an issue. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's 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 and I think that's probably one thing that does keep a lot of people awake at night, worrying about those sorts of things. And I think that's that's a really practical sure. way to uh, to deal with it. So, just summing up, then, uh, Dave, I mean, you, you've you've given us some really really good insights there, and I think the kind of the key message I'm taking away is, which is a kind of you know the whole title of this this interview and this podcast is is putting internal comms first in, in, in a crisis. Um, any any other sort of you know golden nuggets of tips for, uh, for for our listeners who are you know sort of maybe not planning a crisis? I hope they're hopefully they're not, but but you know <laughs> working in an industry where crises may may rear their ugly head more often than than than, than maybe in other organisations. And we're I know I've, I've known from bitter experience never never <laughs> think that you're immune from a crisis because uh, yeah yeah there there always always one just around the corner waiting to be uh, to pounce on you. So any other tips? related or unrelated to what we've already talked about please dave yeah two things that i would say first off you were right craig every organization of any size is likely to have a reputation issue a crisis communications issue occur to them it may be on a small scale it may be on a grand scale but in the day and age when anybody can be a broadcaster and speak with emotion and post it on a social media platform or a blog site or an online review platform, that's just the reality of it. So understand that you will likely go through something. The odds are very much in favor of that occurring. The second thing I will say is when you respond, you need to respond with the idea that you're not necessarily going to try to change the opinion of whomever is disparaging you. You are conveying something with empathy and action to telegraph to everybody else seeing that, that you're taking this seriously. Because as the phrase goes, Haters are going to hate. I could put up a video on YouTube of a cute kitten playing with a ball of yarn and I'll get a thousand thumbs up and I'll get five down checks. Yeah. I don't know what the five people's problem is, but that's just how it is. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah, if yeah. You, so there's something about growing a thicker skin and not trying to respond with equal emotion to somebody with the idea of, of trying to achieve some sort of level of vindication, trying to show that you are the person. It is what it is, and as long as the majority of people see you for what you are and understand what action you're taking in response to this one, everything else will be fine. Don't worry about the one or two people who don't like something. It's likely not about you. It's about something else in your life, and just move on. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really good, uh, a really good, a really good tip to to, to to wrap up on. So, look, Dave, that's been absolutely fantastic. I found it really, really interesting. I've worked in you know food industry. I've worked in lots of different businesses, and and again, I've experienced crises myself. And I know it can be a really kind of anxious time for a lot of people. But you're absolutely right. Is that um, other than dealing with the crisis itself, our kind of first point of call should be our people because. Uh, they're they're part of our team are going to help solve this crisis they're not they're not a you know they're not they're not the the crisis themselves they are you know that we should be rallying together and getting as many hands and as brains on this this issue as possible so i think it's a really 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 good good uh recommendation there so i just want to kind of just um 
say if people want to reach out to you i'm going to put your linkedin profile i've i've also stolen a few other things off your uh, off your off your linkedin profile so i've got your website i've got a youtube channel that you have and i've also you've got a list of your your books on amazon you've got prolific book writer i've got a, a, a whole reading list there of books if uh, people are interested in uh, in reading more about your 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 thinking there anything else you'd like me to put on put into the show notes dave no, you, you've got it. That'd be great. You've got uh, those uh, books. Just to let you know, are a little quick reads. You can do it in a half hour. Hopefully, they're they're more like playbooks for people, depending on the certain level of crises that yeah. I've had the privilege, and I mean this sincerely, the privilege of working on. But Craig, this has been truly a pleasure. I really appreciate your time. No, I re- and I do too. Thank you so much, and and thank you for, for you know you helped me uh, massively before the interview. You sent me some really good good uh, th- things because this is an area you know as I said I'm kind of uh, it's not an area I've worked in before, and but but I guess uh, you know there is there is an element of common sense, but there's also an element of uh, of getting it horribly wrong if you don't know, don't know what you're doing, and clearly you do know what you're doing. So that's that's been fantastic. So look, brilliant, Dave. Thank you so much. I wish you all the best uh, for the for the coming year or for what's left of it anyway. Um, kind of I can't believe how fast. August is, is 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 rearing its head. That's when we're recording this interview. But yeah, so um, thank you so much, and uh, yeah, I look forward to speaking to you again. And thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Greg. Be well. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Engaging Internal Comms podcast. If you've got any ideas for episodes you'd like us to cover in future, you can email us at info at thebigpicturepeople.co.uk or you can use the feedback form at engagingic.com. If you're not already subscribed to the show via your podcast platform, please do so. And if you could leave a review for us, that would be absolutely fantastic. We have links to other episodes at engagingic.com. All of our previous episodes are available there. And if you're interested in our visual communication services, our big pictures, our learning maps, our explainer videos, and also our live graphic recording, please get in touch with us again at info at thebigpicturepeople.co.uk. Thank you.